Buffs Nation. What's going on? Welcome into the Buffs Nation podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family out there. It is Thanksgiving week in Colorado, about to take on USC. And what a lot of people think is their biggest game of the entire year. So on today's show, we'll talk about that. Take a look around college football and the Pac-12. Of course, to my right, Jared All. Jared, how are you? Doing great. How about yourself, Tyler? Not too bad. Did I mention I'm Tyler Walgie? I sometimes forget that. I'm Tyler. That's Jared. Eh, nobody really cares. Yeah, they, all, just, they just want to hear buffs. I don't know. I'm okay. It's been a weird couple days for me. We'll get to that in a second, though. Producer Ryan Smith. Ryan, what's going on? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. See, it's uh, game week again. I it's, know. Finally, it's like a little energy back in the uh, the atmosphere. There was a little something missing last week. You no, know, kid. Well, that something was you. You were you yes. were out with... Uh, that, that is true. <laughs> with you know some what? symptoms, as they say, but uh, he's back. He's ready to go. And how can you miss this show? See you going to take on USC this weekend, and uh, I'm ready for it, man. But first and foremost, happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Yeah, Thanksgiving you guys week. as well. I think we happy got... Uh, it'll be an interesting one there that's another one that's like uh, is is it even you celebrate it i mean do you guys do you get together what, what the we, hell do, are you talking about I, I well because you're not supposed to are you aware of the lockdown that colorado is in right now ryan <laughs> we're not supposed to be going anywhere in fact i don't even think this is a sh- sanctioned event that we're participating like in right, right now, now. Yeah, i don't even know this is i don't allowed. think is we're supposed fi- to be doing is this. it five or under five people are under and I don't. I, I'm I, not sure. I'm obviously what? celebrating <laughs> Thanksgiving, so I'm not paying attention. I, I, that I don't close. have a tape measure here, but I do believe we are all six feet apart, yeah, nice and so. distance here. Really but nice. uh, yeah, it's like I don't know if I should get together with my family or not. I mean, luckily for me, my immediate family is local. So you know, my parents live in Littleton. I live in Lakewood. My brothers live in Littleton. So I, I think it's something we're all able to do. But it's tough, man. It's really tough for a lot of families that don't have that luxury. And so it's it's gonna be. Interesting. Interesting this year, guys. Yeah, I'm going to see my family. It's just going to be like a few of us. We were going to do a whole big thing with, because my sister just got married, as you guys know. Uh, so we were going to do a whole thing with both families, but we ended up only doing, it's just going to be uh, me, my girlfriend, my sister, her uh, husband, and uh, my uh, mom and uh, stepdad. So just, just keeping it small. We're trying to, I told my mom, I was like, hey, we can still come over. Why don't we just eat in the basement? We'll do a Zoom meeting. We'll talk like that. Just Zoom in the same house. Yeah, just just open up all the windows and you know freeze your asses or your butts off. <laughs> right. Sorry, and uh, and uh, eat your uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe we can bleep that one out. Yeah, this is a family show, Ryan. I don't know. I, I think that's uh, still PG thirteen. I think it is too. It's, I think it's, we're the, okay. The, the rules are getting stretched these days. Like the rules are getting. It's weird. It's very muddy. What you can and can't say on PG anymore. We'll give you that one, Ryan. <laughs> From now on, though, there's going to be a dollar going in the swear jar. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but like I said. Uh, Yesterday, I was dealing with some issues. I was at the doctor. They thought I had a hernia. A hernia? And I, uh, I'm i not sure if I do. I went in this morning to get a an ultrasound. And first of all, it's like, okay, it's Thanksgiving week. I go into the doctor. They tell me I may have a hernia. It's like, great. I, I guess we're doing this now. I guess this is going to be my life for the next few days. And yeah, so this morning, they scheduled me to get an ultrasound. So I wake up pretty early. I'm over there about 830 or so. Sitting in the waiting room, me and about four or five other pregnant women. You know, just me and the pregnant women just waiting to get our ultrasounds. You fit right yep. in then, huh? away. Exactly, yep. Tyler, right here. I'm, I'm third in line. Well, technically, you had something in your belly. I did. I did. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. They told me they didn't think it was anything, but I find out tomorrow. But either way, it's been... It's been interesting couple days i mean when this 
that always happens on Thanksgiving week or like on a holiday week or when I'm about to travel. Like it's always the worst timing with this kind of stuff. So anyway, that's all over and through and let's hope I uh, can just get through Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah, yeah. Who cares what happens after that, right? Just get through Thanksgiving. That's kind of how I'm looking for, yeah. Uh, So Thanksgiving, we talked about this uh, on... So a little plug here. If you guys like... uh, college football besides the CU Buffs. You should check out College Football Weekly. It's a podcast that I'm on. Ryan also produces that. And uh, we were talking about best Thanksgiving dishes yesterday. What do you guys think about best or, you know, we did like our top four, but uh, in terms of Thanksgiving uh, dishes, what's your go-to? Like, what's your favorite thing? And that, now, obviously, this is tough because we're incorporating the turkey and the pie and the sides, all that. My, my favorite staple, like Thanksgiving go-to is cranberry sauce, man. And I used to, when I was growing up, I loved the canned cranberry. Now that that uh, my, my palate is so much more sophisticated, I don't know what it is now, but I like the fresh cranberries now. But, dude, those canned cranberries are really good. So my wife makes the most incredible mashed potatoes, gravy, homemade gravy and everything. So that that's always my go-to. But uh, if I can cheat a little bit, I, I'm going to just say dessert in general. Yeah, just right. because, I mean, that's just me. I'm a, I got a sweet tooth. I don't care. Anything sweet. I love it. But I'm going to give an unpopular opinion that everyone freaks out on. The worst part of Thanksgiving, I'm not saying it's bad, but the worst part of Thanksgiving is the turkey. The worst? It's just... It's, Whoa! I don't know about the turkey. That was number one on my on my uh, uh, rankings yesterday. First of all, he's he's not gonna celebrate Thanksgiving because of a little <laughs> cough, <laughs> and then he's gonna throw turkey under the bus. Yeah, I don't too? know what that turkey I'm comment just, was I'm all about. I'm just saying it's okay. It's just okay. You've never had a an amazing turkey. Though. Yeah, apparently so you haven't had good I, turkey. Uh, I I am going to be having a smoked turkey this year, so maybe okay. this will change my I'm, opinion. I'm hoping it does. First for me. And my thing about turkey is you don't. It's 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 a. I think it's a it's a bad take that if you put gravy on turkey, you only do it when the turkey's dry. Man, I like gravy on turkey no matter what. It doesn't have to be dry. No, no. You fill the plate, and then you just pour that exactly. gravy over gravy. everything, man. <laughs> it's just a little bit of everything. Ryan, what's your go-to for Thanksgiving, your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Well, we, we talked about it on the aforementioned College Football Weekly yesterday. Um, and, again, it's probably something that I only do, but given where I'm from, uh, it's green chili on my mashed potatoes. <laughs> okay, see, I had somebody suggest that to me Did this really? week. I've never heard of that yeah, before. I but hadn't it, uh, it was kind of like the just explosion in my head. I'm like, wow. Yep. Oh. It's, it's fantastic. Huh. Especially if you get some good green chili. Yeah. And wow. Ryan, we all know you make some killer green chili. I was born on it. That's you know? just, I, I, I did not uh, put those two together, but I guess Thanksgiving green chili, I'm going to start uh, thinking about that. Might just have to bring a can of 505 with me. <laughs> I think that's about as close as I'm getting. <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, the thing that, as a, as a Buffs fan, you know, Thanksgiving always used to mean the Nebraska game. You know, it was always thanksgiving and then that friday afterwards you're playing nebraska and that's what i love for so long about the rivalry and that's what i miss these days about see you having a true rival outside of colorado state obviously you know listeners of this show for a long time you guys know how much i hate the rams the little brothers up north but outside of that it, it means something to have a conference opponent that you can call a true rival what happened was when colorado and utah uh, both thrown into the pac-12 Let's let I don't know they're close together though they're both new teams in the Pac-12. Let's call it the Rumble and the Rockies and sort of forge this rivalry. And I don't like it at all. Now I was reading an article uh, last week. I forget who did it. May have been the Denver Post. I'm not exactly sure, but they were saying that Colorado should announce that USC 
is their new rival. I wanted to see what you guys thought of that because they just announced it for Utah so you can do it again. I would like for Colorado to do this. It would remind me of the Bill McCartney days. Remember when they got into the the uh, Big 12 and the same thing where he, he goes, look, who's the best team in the Big 12? It's Nebraska. Guess who our new rival is? Nebraska. And people laughed at Colorado for years. There were articles written about CU. People were laughing at the buffs. And before you knew it, they started to believe it because it was said so often. So it kind of reminds me of that. I would like the idea of naming USC the uh, the rival. I think there's one key, though, for that to stick. The Buffs have to actually have beaten USC. <laughs> they have uh, yet to do that in all the years that they've played them. I think they're 0-14. Yeah. So go get a win this week, and all of a sudden, like you said, people aren't laughing so much anymore. I think that might start to stick a little bit. What do you think about that? You like that, Ryan? USC is a rival? Well, it, it, it's hard with, with what Jared brings up. We were always little brother to Nebraska. When we always considered CSU to be little brother to the Buffs. And yes, I think that the overall record against USC is a problem. Um, but look at the overall record of Nebraska and CU. I don't know if you can look that up real quick, Tyler, um, but it wasn't good. Right. Um, but I, I think, and growing up in the Nebraska CU rivalry, I just don't have the ingrained hatred that was instilled into my brain but by we my kids. lovely parents. We were kids <laughs> when that came up. So now this generation's kids can can then embrace a new rivalry. I think that's the way it works. It's kind of a generational thing. We establish it, then our kids will grow up with it. Right. Yeah, then I I guess I'm okay with it then. Let's do it and um you know, we have a new rival, and I'll start hating the Trojans. All right, so Bill McCartney was hired in 1982, and he retired in 1994. So in that window, let's see, 82. Uh, so Colorado won three times in that in that span. And uh, we won 20-10 to 10 in Boulder, 27-21 in Boulder, 27-12 in Lincoln. Uh, the rest were, you know, some fairly close games, but you know, until, what was it, like the, the 2000s? You know, because if you look at the... Uh, Rivalry, Colorado-Nebraska, starting in 2001, ending in 2019, skipping a couple years in between. There were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 total games played, and Colorado won six of those. So obviously the winning percentage increased towards the end of the rivalry, but you guys are right, and I think you brought this up, Ryan. In the middle of that thing, when Colorado announced Nebraska their rival, that's the reason that people were laughing, is Nebraska was beating CU year after year, and... Look, again, I like what he did. I like that Colorado ended up getting over the hump, especially the national championship year, but it wasn't pretty at, at first. So, all right, well, like we we talked about, that's Nebraska. It's usually Nebraska week for Thanksgiving. So that brings us to this week in Buffs history or this day in Buffs history. Ryan, what do we have for today's show, this day in Buffs history? So this day in Buffs history, we're actually going to go to yesterday yeah. but <laughs> you cannot pass this one up this was a milestone game not only for the program but the fans like you brought up the record before it wasn't great and and we were looking for something especially um given the date we're going back to november 23rd 2001 um you guys can probably remember a huge historical moment that happened in 2001 as well couple months earlier um, with 9-11 happening. And I think everybody in the country just needed something something to pick them up, especially when, you're, when you go to these games to try to forget about everyday life. And that was the day that uh, number 14 Colorado 
welcomed into Folsom Field the number two Nebraska Cornhuskers with, I believe, front runner uh, in the Heisman race that year, uh, Tim Crouch. Crouch. Was it Crouch that was there at that time? I think so. And was it Tim or Eric Crouch? Eric, Eric Crouch. Crouch. I'm Eric sorry. Crouch. I'm thinking of Tim Couch and Eric Couch. Crouch. There it is. That's why I was like, that didn't sorry, quite sorry. sound right. I no, messed no, no. up there. Uh, <laughs> and the Buffs just put a wallop on them, 62 to 36. And I have never seen a butt whooping in my life like that was that day. And we have uh, we have a few big standouts that day. Uh, specifically in the running game against the quote-unquote black shirt defense. Chris Brown went for 24 attempts for 198 yards. Oh, That's yeah. 8.3 uh, per crack. Chris Brown, man. Six touchdowns. And Six really, touchdowns. That was crazy. I and, remember that. And really what, what stood out to me that game is that's when we really got introduced to Bobby Purify, who followed up that with 20 carries, 154 yards, and a touchdown Yeah, because well. I'm pretty sure they pulled Chris Brown at like halftime. Yeah. So he puts up six touchdowns and, and 200 by halftime. Like, all right, let's give this kid Purify a chance. Let's see what he's got. And, and you're right. He really stepped up to the stage. But I'll never forget, and this is terrible, that the, the memory that I have is that little kid crying <laughs> in the stands, man. <laughs> yeah. And it gets me every time. It was the front page of the newspaper, wasn't it? The Denver <laughs> yeah. Post. Oh, that was hysterical. And yeah, that was one of the best. That's one of my best memories as a Colorado fan because Nebraska fills the stadium. Oh, that red just makes me sick. I hate how they bring the fans over. Like Ryan said, Eric Crouch, who did win the Heisman this year, they were number two coming in, and Colorado just rolled them up. So that's a great memory. And and for us, you know, we're all, you know, in our early 30s, and so it's just that, that moment. I think we were 10, 11 years old at the time, and it just was such an impressionable time, and I think for all of us, it was a point when I think we really understood what, CU football meant what this rivalry meant. I mean, it crushed Nebraska. And in fact, I even saw it, it was, uh, you know, lots of people retweeted that on Twitter. I know we did as well. Uh, but I did see somebody retweeted and said, the day Nebraska died. Yeah, right. And ever since that, ever since that game, Nebraska has been in a spiral that they have not come back out of. This team has never been competitive again since that point. Yeah, it was, it was the moment that I realized that I really enjoyed the football aspect of going because I had been going since I was a little kid every week and it was really more just getting to throw the football with my stepdad or my uncle and like the tailgate just being around being around other kids and that's when I really started to be like oh I'm a CU football fan right yeah, now. Yeah. The, 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 I think it was the first play for Nebraska. Sean Tufts broke through the line and sacked Eric Crouch, and I've never heard a crowd. I'm getting goosebumps right now I, thinking about it. I've never heard a crowd so loud in my entire life. Like Jared was talking about, Joel Klatt tweeted about this uh, yesterday, and we did retweet it. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Buffs Podcast. But uh, his tweet says, and again, this is Joel Klatt, uh, I was a struggling minor league baseball player sitting in the stands for this game. I dreamed of being out there. I left baseball and followed. Uh, I left baseball the following spring, and my life changed forever. So Joel Klatt in the stands for that game that affected his decision to come to Colorado. And uh, what a great day, man. And for what, some, what a good this day in Buffs history. For some reason, I was thinking Joel Klatt was the quarterback of that team. And so when I saw that tweet, I'm like, wait. Okay. All right. This is the you got to start putting the piece back together. Like I said, I was ten years old, so sometimes those uh, details get a little jumbled in there. And it, it was uh, Pesavento. Is that who? Yeah, it was Bobby Pesavento. Okay. Bobby. 
I love Bobby Passavano. Man. He didn't. He, he didn't have to do much work that day, though. Right? Oh no! <laughs> nice little string of CU quarterbacks, man. And, you know, and just looking back, Chris Chris Brown is still one of my favorite all time players to watch. I mean, the dominance that he played with, and I think he was in the Heisman running that year. He he kind of came out of nowhere. You know, people don't remember he actually transferred to CU from uh, Northwestern. I believe he followed Barnett um, when he came over, and so he wasn't a buff from the start. And he came in and and really really made a name for himself that season. And in that game, and I think you know he had a good uh, NFL career. I, I really actually expected him to be more of a dominant uh, every down back in the NFL, but he did. He was in the NFL for for you know six or eight years, I think. Yeah, he was Derrick Henry before Derrick Henry ever showed up. You know, yeah, he right. was enormous. He ran really straight up too, which is surprising because a lot of those guys that run really straight up. They tend to get hurt a lot because they're just taking helmets square in the chest. And he had a nice long career and actually pretty productive. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture here of him on uh, of Chris Brown on that day. He's got the tape fingers. Oh, man, I wish guys would bring that back. That <laughs> right. is such a clean look, man. Uh, well, definitely good uh, this day in Buffs history. We'll hope that CU can repeat that this weekend against USC. But before we get to that game, let's take a quick snapshot of what's going on right now in college football, especially the Pac-12. As we sit right now in the Pac-12 South, there are two undefeated teams. USC is 3-0, and uh, the Colorado Buffaloes are 2-0. Uh, Arizona State and Utah only played one game, both 0-1, and uh, that's pretty much the, the the South right now. Looking sorry, except for the top two teams. And, and by the way, that they, that uh, their record will not change. They just announced, uh, just as we were starting here, it's about 5.30 uh, Tuesday afternoon, and just announcement just came through that that game has been canceled. Uh, Arizona State still still having the COVID issues, and uh, <clears throat> one certain host on the show suggested maybe they switch up that game so that CU doesn't get screwed out of it, and we could have played CU last weekend. But, uh, you know, I guess it wouldn't really matter because uh, Arizona State still cannot get it together. You were something. I like that idea that uh – Tyler, we we both, I think, had great suggestions. And honestly, you mentioned the CSU thing. It all fell in their lap. It fell into place. And I know everyone around is going, ah, well, the Pac-12 didn't approve the the, uh, non-conference game until Friday. Guys, it's – 60 miles down the road. I think you had plenty of time to figure out the logistics and making this game happen. I know there's a lot of issues that the Pac-12 wanted it to be a home game, whatever. It's garbage, man. Go play them anytime, anywhere. Go beat them down. Tell me, hey, really? really I know. I'm so angry about it. I really am. And it just, when everything fell into place, everything was there to happen. Why not? Go stomp on your little brother for a week. Yeah, well, but see, for me, having such a hot start, even the first two games, but we've only got seven. And to go up to CSU and, God forbid, something happens, one of your key players gets hurt, you take an can't L. can't play scared, right? You, you, you take an L on a last-minute field goal. Yeah, you can't play scared, but you've been the Pac-12 been playing scared this whole year up to this, this point. Is, this is true. I, I honestly think what it all came down to is the Pac-12, and, and, and I don't want to say the Buffs never wanted to play a game, but the, the Pac-12 didn't ever want them to play a game. I think they were hoping that it wouldn't work out, and then all kind of right. fun places like, uh, they got to be a home team. <laughs> they have to be the home team. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't work. It, it, it's, it's crazy those rules and they came out i think larry scott keeps messing this thing up one after another i mean decision after decision but also this could have come into effect i got this uh, interesting tweet i found it online let's see who tweeted this out uh it's a tb i was a tbn sports i'm not exactly sure who tbn sport oh it's a buffalo sports it's some small outlet in buffalo anyway they have all the COVID numbers for individual colleges 
Do you guys want to know the single worst college in general, every single sport combined for COVID? Is it CSU? It's CSU. Wow. Wow, really? I was going to say ASU. but Colorado State has had 30, and this is in the last couple of weeks, 36 positives of 924 tests. That's not that many tests for that many positives. 22 football, seven swimming, three volleyball, two women's soccer, and two women's basketball. Whatever they're doing up north in, in Fort Collins, it is not working. Yeah, stay. How many miles were they away? Uh, 60. Yes. Just under 60. Keep it there. Yeah. yeah you know right. what? Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. All right. Let's not let's not bring that COVID on us, man. Let's not do that. And Colorado okay. has done a great job. I mean, CU, I'm, I'm really impressed with the way Carl Durrell and this team has handled everything. They haven't gotten sick. There's been no... Uh, you know, no positives that we've heard about. So I'm really impressed with what's going on in Boulder, and I would hate for Colorado State to ruin things. But uh, right now, the Pac-12, like I said, that's the South is not looking fantastic. The North is uh, looking like this: Oregon is three and zero. Washington is two and zero. Uh, Washington State one and one. Oregon State one and two. And then Cal and Stanford both. 0-2. So, look, if you if you want to take it one way, you could say Colorado combined opponents' records are 1-4, but the way I look at it is Colorado dominated those games. The final score may not indicate it, but CU looked very good their first couple games, and I think that Colorado's coming into this USC game a little bit underrated, given what they did so far against the Pac-12. So that's what the Pac-12 looks like. Uh, in terms of last week, CU and ASU obviously canceled. Washington State and Stanford also canceled last week, so there were four games. Uh, Oregon beat UCLA by three points. Do you see that game? UCLA goes on the road to Oregon, keeps up with them. I think that says a lot about Colorado, to be honest. I mean, 38-35, that was a very close game. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look back at it, but I believe the week prior that uh, UCLA had a good uh, good showing against Cal. Am I right yeah, in that? Yeah, so yeah. I think, you know, that that is very telling in how well the Buffs played in that game. And so when, when you saw that comeback from UCLA, I think that makes me feel better about where the Buffs are at coming out of that game. Cal uh, lost a close one to Oregon State. The Beavers getting a 31-27 win at home. And then Washington takes down Arizona, 44-27 at home as well. The last game in the Pac-12 that happened last week, USC going on the road to Utah, and they win 33-17. And if you ask me, this game's a lot more about Utah than it was USC. They didn't look like themselves, the typical Kyle Whittingham coach team. And USC, it was close for a while. They end up pulling away. I think that final may be a little bit deceiving. And I'm not trying to be so pro-CU here. I'm just trying to be honest that I don't think USC is as good as a lot of people around the country think they are. I, I tried watching that game to get a real good take on USC. I hadn't gotten a chance to watch any of their, their football so far. So I was like, all right, I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to watch it closely. I'm going to see what I see out of USC. And what I saw is exactly what you did, Tyler. Utah, I don't know if it has to do with the COVID issues that they were having. I know they didn't get to practice a whole lot. They, they missed the game prior, but they looked bad. This is a team that year in and year out, even though you know they're not, not the most talented team in the Pac-12, they're always competitive. And this team did not look competitive no, at all. They not. had no offense. For the, I, I, I couldn't take anything from USC's defense because Utah did nothing offensively that was a threat. So I, I think it was a hard to get a read in. And I agree. I think Utah, more than anything, lost that game. I do too. And actually, I just realized that as we speak, I'm pretty sure uh, ESPN's airing the college football playoff rankings. I think that's coming out right now. So maybe at the end of a sh- at the end of the show, we can circle back around and kind of comment on that if we've got some time. So uh, we'll have to pull some updates there, see if we can get that. I don't see anything right now on ESPN, but I will keep refreshing. 
All right, uh, let's get to. Do you have it right now, Jared? Yeah, they, I, I got them out here. I got. Where did you find that? Uh, this is coming off a of Bleacher Report um, through through Twitter and all that. Brett McMurphy. Oh yeah, Brett out. McMurphy. Brett okay. McMurphy. Apparently, that sounds good. Uh, CU is not in it. Do we want to just say that? That. I well, I, I think one, I think one more signature win is what they need. I, absolutely, I think they go get a win against USC. They yeah. have to be in contention for that. And 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 USC is right now on these rankings 18th. So I and think then is Oregon? Not, oh well, where's Oregon? Oregon is at 15. So the two Pac-12 teams on there: Oregon 15, USC 18. I'm assuming no other Pac-12 teams. He's on looking there. through here, I don't read that quickly, Tyler. No, there are not any others. On All right, there. why don't you give us the uh, one through five? One through five. Oh, oh wow! I'm not, I'm just reading this live, guys. I've not read this yet, so there are some surprises in there. Can, can we? Can you guys want to guess? I want you guys to guess. Um, I guess okay, so. One, one, Ooh. Alabama. Alabama. That's correct. I've got it on my phone. I already. Uh, read Okay. So. Two, uh, Notre Dame. Correct. Three is going to be, um, we're going to go, uh, give me just a sec here. Just a second here. Maybe you can play some holding music for me. Ohio State three. Eh. Shut up. It's not Cincinnati. They're not going to go that high. Eh. Clemson? Clemson. Clemson. Hanging on number to number three. three. And Ohio State has to be four, though. Ohio State has four. So Alabama, uh, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Five and State. six surprise me in the order that they are. And I, actually, I'm surprised that one of them is even in there. And it's the one at number five. I'd say, I'd say Texas A&M. It is Texas A&M. So okay. that, that surprised me. I know that they lost to Alabama. It was their only loss. But it was a bad loss. Was and it a bad loss? Florida has looked really, really good. So far this year. And so so Florida is six. Florida is six, and then Cincinnati seven, and Northwestern comes in at number eight. <laughs> what? Right? Northwestern? Uh, I'm I am a little confused about that, at that one. one right now. How, how they belong in there? I mean, you got you got Georgia, Miami, Ohio, Indiana, Ohio State, BYU at fourteen. By the way. I believe also undefeated. A lot of people are talking about their BYU's fourteen. Get, yeah. Wow. No respect for the and, Cougars. And you know why that may be? Is yeah. No, go ahead. No, I think I'm going to say exactly what you are because I, I heard this take uh, previously. It, it's the fact that they had an opportunity this week to play Washington, <laughs> and they said, and no. they said, nah, we're cool. We want to see where our ranking comes in. Right. And you know what the committee said? Oh, you don't want to play games against good teams. 14th, exactly. that's where your ranking comes in. I can't in. believe they said no to that. They should have played Washington. They need a win like that. They probably would have beaten them, to be honest. Now, guys. It was a bad look. Utah not playing as a result of Arizona State and their issues. BYU is in Utah. Makes a whole lot more sense, logistically speaking. Does that game happen? BYU-Utah this weekend. Ooh, ooh, that would be a good one. If, I would like that. Is that the the border war? No, it's not the border because that's they're both in the same state. Yeah, unless they I, just. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure, but but the fact that that they it's been canceled, which I was, I had a little bit of a problem last week with them canceling the CU game so early. They yeah. canceled on a Sunday, and now that it's coming out on a Tuesday, I think that might be a possibility because they at least have some time to prep. They have some practice time and they have the testing time. So yeah, let's it could do it. Be. Yeah, a couple. Uh, wow. Well, there you go. I mean. And maybe BYU learned their lesson. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Can I go on a little rant here? And go this ahead, is, Jared. This you is, got the floor. Uh, I know this is a college football podcast. This is going to tie in some NFL stuff, too. But we, we've seen it in, in, in college football, too. But I'm going to reference the Ravens, okay? The Baltimore Ravens, okay? They played a game Sunday, all seemingly healthy. Everybody passed their COVID test Saturday, Sunday, whenever. Then somehow, miraculously, a quarter of their team tests positive on Monday. 
and you're supposed to do the contact tracing, this and that. How are two running backs that have been in the starting lineup, which, by the way, Mark Ingram and uh, J.K. Dobbins, both, I, I don't know if they're positive. I, I, I think they're both positive. They were in the huddle with Lamar Jackson, with, yeah. the, with the whole offense. With They were on the buses. They were on the planes. H- how is the entire team, how is everybody that was on that field not considered? To, it just seems convenient. They're like, oh, everyone passes it Saturday and Sunday. Ah, Monday rolls around and everyone's failing their tests. And that is weird. The, the, the whole continuity of it, all the rules, it seems so... It seems so strange. Like, there's no consistency here. And honestly, I figure if they're going to lie about anything, they should have done it leading up to the steal. And no, I don't want to condone any of that. I know. And let's be very clear. We're (laughs) not scientists. There's probably some scientific explanation to all of this that I don't understand. But they play the Steelers this this Thursday on Thanksgiving. Ravens-Steelers. And the Ravens are depleted for that game. And maybe they weren't ready to play Thursday. Maybe they want to push that game back to Sunday. Oh, God. That could not happen for Thanksgiving. Something that makes me think of is, is all leading up to it as all um, negatives is it starts to bring up to me being false negative tests and that's really concerning because I don't know if they're taking different tests than the population of the United States is taking but if we're getting a lot of false negatives and then the very next day they're testing positive. Like, what are we really trusting here? Like, right. like it's really hard to understand. Right. We're just, how are we assuming, right? I think what you're saying is, how are we assuming that all these negatives Sunday were actually negatives, and then and then you just so happen to, to now ha- be contagious and have it? Well, and something that, that's always new and you're always going to get with pandemics is it's just like these, I'm so happy to hear about not only one vaccine, but multiples coming out. And they say they give us these numbers of 90 plus percent effective, but are they really? Right. And then what kind of side effects are we going to get from those vaccines? Yeah, I'm not going to be one of the first people taking them. Yeah. No, I, don't I, worry, guys. We don't rank high enough in the hierarchy <laughs> within America. We'll be one of the last ones to get it. Exactly. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to grow come, some horns. I'm, I'm going to get it and come back with a tail growing out yeah, of my exactly, forehead. Exactly, <laughs> right? Well, we can hope that everything stays on track for this weekend's game. So far, USC, Colorado, both doing very well, but uh, it's it's tricky right now amongst the the landscape. So there you go, Jared. There's your rant. Yeah, thank you. I needed that. I needed to get that off my chest today. All right, let's get to the game coming up this weekend. Colorado, USC. Uh, Colorado actually hosting uh, USC. What time is this game? Let's see if I it's can. It's a one thirty. It is a uh, mountain time game. Yeah, one thirty in Boulder, Colorado, on ABC too. Oh, how about that? Get, Gotta get, love that. Getting a little uh, no, prime time, baby. And by the way, I was wrong. It's not in Boulder. It is at USC. So see you traveling for this game. Yeah, I, I just pulled that up, and they are traveling for this one. Yeah, it was, I'm getting confused because Arizona State was right. supposed to be the home game. But uh, yeah, Colorado on the road. Now for two in a row. So Buffs fans, only one home game left. We don't know about the seventh game. They don't know what's going to happen for that yet. But so far on the schedule, Utah coming to Boulder on December 11th. That's a Friday. Besides that, two road games for Colorado. So on the road this week at USC, uh, we both we, we know what Colorado's done this year. It's been a good start to the season, 2-0, wins against UCLA and Stanford. USC is 3-0. and Now, their 3-0 and is interesting because this could easily be a team that's 1-2, and but they've played pretty good teams. Arizona State, I think, is an underrated, very good Pac-12 team. 
USC beats Arizona State Week 1 28-27 after trailing by, I believe, 14 or 17 points that game. Yeah, 14 points with like three minutes left in the game. It was crazy, and they ended up coming back. Touchdown, onside kick, recovery, late touchdown. I mean, it was a miracle game. And so that was their one home game so far, 28-27 over ASU. Then they went on the road to Arizona, won another close game, 34-30, and again had to come back late in the game to win that one. And then as we mentioned last week, they went to Utah and won 33-17. So USC and Colorado, the only two undefeated teams left in the North. And Tyler, doesn't it seem like this is what USC does year after year? They're always talked about early on, top 10, top 15 team, and they, they stumble out of the gates. They Usually it's a bad loss early on. This year they happen to pull off a couple of, of wins that maybe they shouldn't. And then they start getting going. And then they start getting their momentum. And that's kind of what that game against Utah felt like is, okay, now they're getting in their rhythm. So now I feel like as a Buffalo, you have to expect you're getting USC at their best. You're not getting a team that's still trying to put the pieces together. I think you're going to get a team clicking. And I think CU needs to be clicking on all cylinders to win this game. And this is probably USC's hardest game left. You look at the Trojan schedule after Colorado, they've got Washington State and then UCLA. I think I see 2-0 there for USC. So this is a a big game for the Trojans. No wonder it's on ABC. This is going to be a big boy. So let's talk about what USC does well and what Colorado is going to have to do to slow them down. The Trojans are going to come out and want to throw the football. We're going to see a lot of the secondary on display for CU, and it's going to look a lot closer to the UCLA game than it did the Stanford game, right? Stanford did their classic Stanford thing. You know, they, they threw the ball a little bit more than we expected, especially there in the second half, and Colorado handled it well, but it wasn't these spread sets that USC likes to run. Uh, Keaton Slovis on the year, completing 71% of his passes for just shy of 1,000 yards, five touchdowns, two picks. And if you look at the contrast between rushing yards and passing yards, this is a team that usually likes to keep things pretty even, but this year they're putting everything into the passing game, 441 yards on the ground, 970 through the air. So I expect a big day for Colorado secondary. We're going to hear a lot of Isaiah Lewis, uh, Christian Gonzalez, you know, Darian Rakestrike I expect to be in the mix, and this secondary is going to have to be, have a big game for the Buffs. Yeah, I think Christian Gonzalez and Mekhi Blackman out on the edge are going to be huge for the Buffs. I, I think that the, the talent for the Trojans is all at the outside receiver. I think, I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughns, I think Brew McCoy, who's a, a, a redshirt freshman, I'm pretty sure these are all five-star guys. They may have been the number one at their position coming out of high school. So very, very talented at the outside receiver. Guys that can do a lot of things, get deep, big plays. I think that's going to be huge for the Buffs D to prevent those big plays on the outside. Yeah, given the talent with the U- that USC does have on the outside, um, I-, I also don't think that USC wants anything to do with the Buffs front seven. And so I think they're going to they're going to look at these corners, especially you know Gonzalez being a freshman. They're kind of licking their chops, and they're they're going to test it early and often. But I think the one thing that's positive for CU is that's what happened the first game, and then so the the defensive staff started to make the adjustments, help over the top with Gonzalez, and look. I trust Christian Gonzalez. And like we said earlier, none of us expected him. I'm sure none of the listeners expected for this guy just to hit the ground running from game one. He's learning, but he's learning quickly. And I don't think it's going to be one-on-one islands all day. It's going to be a mixture of defenses that we're seeing from Colorado, but no doubt about 
bit, the secondary will be important. And I think for the Buffs, because you have so much faith in your front four, in a Mustafa Johnson, in a Terrence Lane, to get after the quarterback that you don't feel like you have to blitz him to get there, I think that allows you to do some bracket coverage, keep your safeties deep, making sure your cornerbacks aren't out on an island out there. Well, And that's so important is the front seven getting to the quarterback. I mean, this year, Keaton Slovis only been sacked six times. Now, you may say six times, but they've played three games, and, this, and the offensive line has been getting better and better. So, when Keaton Slovis has, and by the way, he's going to play in the NFL. Like, he may not be one of the top draft picks, but he's going to get drafted. When he has time to throw, he can be very, very good. I think that getting him off his rhythm, he's got a 141.3 quarterback rating this year. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. Getting him off his rhythm, blitzing him, making him uncomfortable is going to be key this game. Yeah, so just Jared's point as well, with having young corners, experienced safeties, young corners, you need to be able to get there with four. Can't be blitzing. You need to get there with four. Let those linebackers help out a little bit in coverage so you're not stretched too thin and, and you know, hopefully you can come out with some sacks. And if you do blitz him, you got to disguise it well. And I think that's on right, to Tyson right. Summers to make sure that it's not obvious where it's going. It doesn't give Keaton Slovis, who is an experienced quarterback, an, an obvious hot route of where he needs to go with the ball. So I think disguising things, they've done a great job with bringing a guy like Darian Rakestraw on, on blitz packages, uh, Nate Landman, Akil Jones, both guys that have done that as well. So I think when you do, you got to pick your spots. I agree with Ryan here. You don't want to be doing that all day and expose your cornerbacks out there because I think Keaton Slovis can pick you apart. But you pick your spots, and you got to get home. Yeah, and USC, I mean, you're, you're exactly right, Jared. you got to pick your spots. You have to disguise a lot. But USC also likes to throw uh, to their running backs and tight ends. I mean, more running backs than tight ends. But if you combine all the running backs and receivers, I mean, the running backs get about one out of every three or four throws. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot that they try and spread that out. So not only is CU going to have to get to the quarterback with usually three or four, but we're going to need a nice game from Carson Wells, Nate Landman covering the middle of the field, making sure they're locking down those short throws. Because look, Jared mentioned it earlier. If they just... USC's probably going to want to go vertical. They're going to want to air things out and go downfield. But if Colorado shuts that down, it's going to be frustrating for USC to get two yards and three yards and two yards and three yards on these short passes. As long as Landman and Wells can tackle Akil Jones too, can 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 tackle, not allow any yards after the catch. That's going to be a big part of this game. I mean, USC is a very athletic team. So, and honestly, a lot of the tackling is more about Nate Landman and Akil Jones. I'm surprised with Carson Wells every week. It seems like this guy's so versatile doing so much. It's like, what does he have in store for us this week? But the one thing I'm most impressed with is his ability to drop back, cover, surprise the defense with with some different looks. So, you know, everyone's going to play a different role this game, but no doubt about it, USC is going to want to get the ball to their running backs and tight ends, especially if those outside guys aren't working. So I know we kind of do this every week and talk about everyone on the defense, but look, it takes a full effort. You need everyone performing on defense, but I think specifically for USC, it's not as much of a stress on the running game as it was last week for Stanford. Stop the run, excuse me, stop the pass, make USC run the football. That's got to be Steve's number one thing coming And up. I think more specifically than just stopping the pass, stop the big play. Amon Ross St. Brown is a big play receiver. He's averaging 14 yards per catch. He's a guy that can absolutely go off. He's got the speed to get behind the defense. So I think it's key to keep things in front of you. Do not allow the big play. Hey, they're going to they're gonna make their plays. These guys are going to make plays. These are very talented receivers. It's a very talented team. Just don't give up those big 
big plays, don't have the broken coverages on the back end of the defense. All right, let's get to Colorado's offense and see this matchup. When CU has the ball, what are we looking to exploit here? Before we get into any X's and O's, Brady Russell is injured. He'll miss a couple weeks due to, due to an ankle injury. You talk about a huge injury for the Buffs. I mean, Brady Russell being gone, that's a big one. I, he's going to be missed. And, and they're very, very thin at the tight end position. Yeah, no uh, linebacker Alex Pell has been um, moved over to the offensive side to okay. play some tight end this okay. week because they're just so thin. So that is going to hurt them. They've really, really leaned on Brady Russell and, and just that position in general, and I think that's going to be tough for them to, to uh, address. Yeah, it, it's really hard. I think this year in particular, um, I've always looked for a little bit more from Brady Russell in the past. And I think that the outside guys, the big play guys, the Bobos, the Chenaults, the Rosses, always kind of got those touches. And I feel like Sam Norris is doing a really good job about using that safety valve the way he should. Oh, for sure. I mean, he looks really good doing that. He's comfortable checking the ball down. That's what you need to be an effective quarterback. That's what NFL scouts look for. I think it's so important and underrated. Can you check down? Can you hit the check down? Can you be smart with the football? And Ryan, I mean, you're do I think the biggest thing that I'm impressed with this year from Sam Neuer is his decision-making. I mean, he's athletic, he can run, he's got a great arm, he makes good decisions, but it's the decision-making, it's the brain, it's it's it, it's what he does on a, on a play-to-play basis that has me so uh, excited yeah, know, we, and impressed. I mean, we, we, we talked about it how, um, I, I think it was on the UCLA game, I think there were three or four guys with four to five catches each. Yeah, yeah. not that, forcing that, the ball to that's anyone. Great. Exactly. I mean, when Chenault was here, it's like, Hey, who do you think is getting the ball this play? It's going to end up in Chenault's hands one way or another. It's so much tougher to stop a versatile offense. And I think the key for the Buffs offensively isn't necessarily to specifically run or specifically pass. It's it's to play mistake-free football. Right. And that's something that I feel great about with Sam Neuer behind, behind center. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of focusing on a game plan, what do you want to do? How do you want to come out this game? It was fairly obvious to me when you played UCLA, when you played Stanford, what you wanted to do to come out. I think Colorado has a bit of a luxury here. Now, you can look at it in two different ways. Either Colorado playing one of the best defenses they're going to play all year, they're, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything well. Or you can look at it how I look at it and say, Colorado's proven. They can do whatever the heck they want to. They want to drop back and pass. They want to run the football. They want to spread things out or they want to run a tight set. They can be comfortable and succeed doing anything. So there's a lot on tape that CU's done, but I feel like we're skimming the surface for what we can expect to see from Colorado. So I believe that versatile offense, that multiple offense that uh, we've seen so far is actually a positive thing for the Buffs. Now, it's bad that Brady Russell's out. Who'd you say is filling in for him, Jared? You got that name again? Uh, Alex Pell is... Uh, so is Alex he, no, Pell, he's, he's like a third stringer now. Well, the, the but, name I have is Matt Lynch. So keep in mind, either Alex Pell or Matt Lynch. Expect to hear one or both of those names. Maybe a combination this weekend. But uh, it's going to be detrimental not to have Brady Russell there for an entire game. And it's not just the fact that he's not going to be there. Because remember, he got injured early last game, was taken out, he didn't come back in. But it's the fact that the other team, USC in this case, now knows he's out, so their game planning goes into that. That's why these coaches are often pretty coy about the depth chart or the injuries is because if you have to prepare for someone and they don't end up playing, that's actually a positive. But USC knows this guy's out for a couple weeks. And one thing that'll be huge for the Buffs is getting Katie Nixon back. He, is he, he going to be back yeah, for sure? he is no longer listed Good. on the injury report. Now, interestingly enough, Buffs threw out a, a depth chart and he was listed as a backup. Behind. I don't know about that. Yeah, and that's why I think it's that's, that's working him back in there. Um, so, no, I, I think he's a guy that they will absolutely lean on to that, try to that, get the ball in that's his like hands. A, that's like a cheap wine. You know it's not going to last. 
no line lasts with you, Tyler. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. Have you guys looked through in depth the uh, starting roster for the 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 uh, defense for USC? And I'm more just talking about the names. Uh, no, I tried to. I always like to pick out a couple of names. It guys looks like Hawaii's reference. roster. Yeah, I couldn't even like try most of these. The the one I could pronounce was Raylan Goforth. That's a pretty sweet okay. name. Not gonna lie, but I, I don't even. I'm I'm usually very bad with names. So we're gonna just try to butcher a couple of these names here. Their their leading tackler on the year is Talanoa. Hufanaga. Nope, that's way off. Hufanga. Hufanga. Yeah, it's there a Talanoa Hufanga, but he's a safety. Yeah. Leading the team in tackles, two interceptions, one forced fumble. Whew. He's good. He's all over the field. So that, that's a guy to watch out for, and, and especially when you see a safety making plays like that and being leading tackler. We see it with, he, with he, Darian Rakestraw for the bus right now. He's number 15 for USC, so watch out. Know where 15 is at all times, Sam Neuer. But yeah, it's it is a little rough going down that depth chart trying to pick off a couple of names you can pronounce there. Look, you're you're bringing up a good point though. The a lot of these guys, you know, contribute. The leading tackler, as you mentioned, safety. Second leading tackler, linebacker. Then D line. Then safety. Then linebacker. Then safety. So there's a nice array, and that's not just because they're giving up yards and tackling downfield. It's because they are athletic. Let's face it. I think that everyone listening, I think you guys would probably agree on a year-to-year basis for the last decade, USC has consistently gotten the best recruits in the Pac-12. I mean, it's not hard to win at USC, if you ask me. A quick diversion here, what do you guys think about Clay Helton? I've never been a big Clay Helton fan. He doesn't seem to fit USC to me. I know he's had a couple winning seasons, but that goes to what I was just talking about. They always are going to have five-star athletes. They're always going to get those guys from Southern California that want to play at a a school that has a, a big reputation, a reputation of winning. USC, to me, it's like, as long as you don't crash the car, you're going to win eight or nine games a year. I'm not the biggest Clay Helton fan in the world. I think he's going to be fired pretty soon, sooner than later. What do you guys think about I'm going to take it one step further. He's garbage, man. He is no good as a coach. I think he fell into that spot because he happened to be the guy that recruited Sam Darnold. So then they promoted him from within. I think I think he had a good interim coaching period. Um, but he's done nothing that makes me have any faith in him. In fact, I think he's what holds this team back, if I'm being honest. I, I think this is such a talented roster that the right coaching staff could be so successful with. Yeah, with the amount of talent that USC gets, I, I feel like Clay Helton is just not the guy. He, he's kind of holding them back a little bit, and, and I could see if, if USC has the wheels fall off or they don't at least win a Pac-12 championship, I could see his job being on the line, and I'd look for somebody like maybe Indiana's Tom Allen or a Hugh Freeze to be... Well, Hugh Freeze is a good name to throw in there. Kind of one of those what guys. About, what about Herb? Urban Meyer? No, he's, he's taking over Texas for sure. Oh, I, yeah. I think Texas would be more likely, but honestly, as a CU fan, I, I want Clay Helton to stay there. <laughs> yeah. He should stay as well, long yeah, as he course. can. <laughs> <laughs> he should stay as long as he can. Can you guys imagine if Herb came to the Pac-12, if Urban Meyer made his way to Southern California... Well, that I was mean, a speculation when he left Ohio State. That right, I mean, right. a lot of people thought Clay Helton was going to get fired last year, and and he, um, uh, you know, manages to to hold on to that job every I don't know, year. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know what what he's doing behind the scenes, but man, he he has won somebody over in that athletic department. Maybe you've accidentally stumbled upon something here. What is happening behind the scenes at USC? Why the heck is this guy well, keeping his job? Well, you do remember that uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Brought on to be the offensive coordinator. Oh, just kidding. I'm actually going to take yeah, the head coaching job that? for Arizona. Right? 
And, uh, I, you know, that's one that I, I think he probably would have been getting looked at as their head coach right now had uh, had he stuck around there. So either way, USC gets a lot of good recruits. So we know in terms of we got into this because we're talking about defense, how the tackles are spread out, how they're so good on all three different levels. But if you're Colorado, I think the main thing going into this game is not necessarily focusing on one thing in, offense, or on, in the running game, focusing on something in the passing game. It's going in knowing you can win. I want to see a confident Colorado team this weekend. I mean, I've been so impressed so far with Carl Durrell and the way that his attitude and scheme and everything, the way he approaches the game has trickled down to the team. I want to see that this weekend because the first couple games, I know Colorado was an underdog, uh, you know, a, co- uh, what, it's a couple times. It's even worse this week, Tyler. Yeah, what, what's the spread uh, this game? It started out at 13 and a half. It actually has moved towards the buff. I saw it at 13 today. Minus 13 for USC. Hey, look, the first couple games, Colorado was expected to be in them. No one really knew. This is the first game this year, the first game Carl Durrell leading things where Colorado's not expected to win. Where if Colorado wins, it would technically be considered an upset. So I want to see a Colorado team come out fighting, creative on offense, getting after the quarterback on defense, playing Colorado football the way that we've come to expect it lately, right? I mean, Colorado football for a long time, there's a lot of ways to define it, but the way I define this 2020 team is efficient, smart, creative, and physical. Like, that's this team, and I want to see that against USC. I don't want to come here next week and say, boy, that was ugly. Colorado didn't look good to go from the from the kick. I want to see a team who comes out with a game plan, ready to make the first move and not be reactive this game. So to me, that's the number one thing for the Buffs, coming out with that mindset that they know they're going to win this game. And I want to see the Buffs take this Personally, we, we referenced a couple of things early in the show. 0-14 all-time against USC. They've never beaten USC. That's that's embarrassing. Yeah. You need to take that personally. I know a lot of times you like that coach speak of, oh, it's just another game. No, this is personal. And, I, and you've actually heard that from the Buffs coaching staff, from these players, guys like Nate Landman talking about how three years in a row they had a chance to beat USC in three years in a row it came down to plays not made at the end of the game, and USC made more plays. So take it personal. Look at this like a rivalry game. Build that. I want you to look at this as a way you need to come out and attack them and get after it. Yeah, we're looking at just the second or third game, I'm sorry, in Carl Durrell's uh, tendency here. And the thing that I want to see and something that we've come to realize with Colorado Buffalo's teams in the past is I don't want to see things snowball. Snowballing has hurt this team, these past teams so much. A bad play turns into three. A bad drive turns into four. A uh, a close loss turns into blowout losses. One loss turns into five straight. What did we see with Mel Tucker? He went five and zero and then lost out. Basically, I think he won one more game after that. Yeah. I want them to be able to take adversity with a good, talented roster like USC and be able to turn it around and stop the bleeding at some point and really kind of be a solid football team. Don't trust in what they're going to do. Trust in what you do and, and assert your authority. And don't, it's, no, go ahead, Jared. Don't give them this game. Don't make mistakes that give them this game. No blown coverages, no no bad turnovers. You know, be smart, play within yourselves, and go out and be the better team. And I think the Buffs can win this game. Isn't it funny, though, to think how it works to be a fan? Because we've just grown accustomed to these things happening. You know, to Colorado making these mistakes and see you being the one to go, oh, come on. But 
this is a new team. I have this new feeling. They've looked different so far. I know it's only a couple games, but it's funny how it works being a fan. It's almost like a, you know, like a, a, a beaten dog. You know, it's just like I was just I was just about to say an abusive relationship. Yeah, but right, yeah, it's, it's, right? it's like, like there's not a lot of coming. It's like, back all right, we've that. got something new. Let's go. Exactly, and I'm so nervous that that CU's going to do that again. But I do have a fresh. Uh, a, a feeling in this coaching staff that I haven't had in such a long time. I mean, I trust Carl Durrell. I trust them. And I, I want to be careful here because I'm actually very sensitive to the fact that I don't want to overreact. I don't want to get on here and make a fool of myself. That's the last thing I want to do and say, oh, Carl Durrell's the next coach, the next best thing. Colorado got so lucky to get him. And then they end the season by going 0-3 the, the rest of their games are 0-4, however many games he has left. I don't think that's going to be the case, though. Something tells me that this is a different thing, and it's not a feeling. It's not just oh, I think Carl is going to be good. It's it's that yeah. You, you, want, you want a little karaoke time at the end of this? <laughs> oh, I will own you. <laughs> it's that uh, again. It's the way they've gone about this. The first two games, Colorado has played so smart. They haven't made those penalties. They haven't made those stupid mistakes. The coaching staff has made great decisions on fourth down, on third down, managing the game. So. I think that you can tell something, right? It's sort of like uh, uh, if I were, this is off the top of my head analogy, but if I were like a teacher and I saw a student maybe get a, a, a couple B's or something like that in a row, right? You don't really know about them yet, but their work is good. You can tell there's a lot of detail in there. You, you can sort of tell what that's going to be like based on the actual work, based on the actual, you know, the details. And from what I've seen so far from the details with Colorado, it's not a coincidence through two games that they're doing so well in penalties. They're doing so well in terms of making a smart play. No stupid hits out of bounds. No roughing the quarterbacks. And I think that's a big part of why I'm so confident in this coaching staff is it's not just that they're 2-0 and and that they're winning games. It's how they're going about their business that has me so excited. So I think that's a big deal. Colorado's playing the right way. That's why I'm so excited. I love your analogies, Tyler. <laughs> you, right. could, you could write a book on your analogies, man. Uh, you know what I, I, I wanna, I'm i going to write a book about is my fake uh, business names. I love coming up with names for businesses. Like you guys know uh, Felipe Franks, the quarterback for uh, Arkansas who transferred from uh, Florida. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about this? Felipe's Franks. It's like a hot dog stand, right? Yeah. And then uh, remember Tommy Tuberville? Remember him, the college football coach? Uh, Tommy Tupperville's Tupperware. Yeah, right? I think Tupperware is a brand name, oh, actually. Okay. No, but so, still, you could make some like, copyright stuff going on. Oh, there. is it a brand name? <laughs> Tupperware. Oh. oh, my God. It was right there the whole time. He's kind of pushing it together. <laughs> Dunder Mifflin Finity right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like that. But Michael Scott Paper Company. If I were to come up with a book, that's what it would be. My fake uh, businesses. But I digress. Back to Colorado. Uh, back to CU. I'm calling them Colorado. I'm, I'm trying today. to see. I'm trying to see if I can get Tyler off. Off. Just see, no, see if I can no. throw him off. Today. We'll talk about this offense. And <laughs> I do want to focus on something we brushed on earlier. Now we've gone over how how CU needs to approach this when when USC has the ball. That they need to come out a. Uh, 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 aggressively and with a game plan don't be afraid and offensively it doesn't really matter if they want to run the football establish the pass i'm not too i don't have a preference this game i think cu can do anything they they really want to do you know i'm just looking for Ty- or tyler nor sam Noyer. <laughs> Jeez, i got myself off see what i did <laughs> i'm just looking for sam Noyer to take control of this game i don't again whether that's through the air on the ground i want to see him take charge take control of this game and lead this team to victory. Well, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, the the receivers because I said I wanted to come back to Katie Nixon. 
with the absence of Brady Russell and with the absence of a true tight end who see you can rely on, and let's face it, maybe one of the guys replacing him is going to do a great job, have a couple catches, that would be awesome. But if not, CU has so many good receivers on this roster that maybe you just throw a lot of five receiver sets out there. Maybe you're using a lot of motion and, and a lot of drag routes and throwing those quick passes. I mean, I expect to see Katie Nixon on the field despite what the depth chart says, but I also expect to see uh, Maurice Bell and Dimitri Stanley and Brendan Rice and Daniel Arias and a lot of these guys contributing in the passing game. Yeah, Daniel Arias is one that I really look for. Now, they've typically used him mostly as a deep threat receiver. He's He's got, done a lot of streak routes uh, down deep down the field, 20, 30-plus yards. But he's a big body guy, and I think you can utilize that frame in the same way that you'd utilize a tight end. You know, getting him across the middle, getting him in in those same range, that mid range uh, passing game. Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of Katie Nixon, even like Tyler said, even regardless of what the depth chart says. And um, something that I think you'll see, I think we'll see a couple gadget plays because they like to have KD throw the football, and I think they're going to be so concerned about him it's going to leave some guys open for either like a throwback or or something down the field something crazy and i think you'll see a lot of them in the jet sweep game handing them the football that's what i want to see mixing it up yeah this is the game to pull out all all those plays i think you don't hold anything back in this if you have a good trick play a good way and, and katie nixon's the perfect guy because you can run that play that sweep that jet sweep three four times and then one time he just stops and throws that ball back. And I think Sam Nora would be wide open with the whole field to play. What do you guys think about Levante Chenault this year? He's gotten in a couple plays. He's made some plays here or there. I mean, it's not like he's jumped off the page. But, you know, Do you guys have any strong thoughts about him? I, I think he's, it's going to take him a little bit more time. I, I, I don't want to knock him in any way, but I mean, there's, there's very few LaVisca Chenault. So Levante Chenault, I think there's a, a big kind of shadow for him to come into, and I think that's a little tough for him to do. But I've not seen anything that's discouraged me about him. I think he's looked very, very much very comfortable and, and looks like he belongs out there. Yeah, nothing to discourage me either. I, I just think he's – I think people have outplayed him. Like, it, it's not really his fault. It's a good way like, of putting it. I mean, honestly, I'd, 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 right now, if you were to ask me right now, I'd rather see a lot more of Brendan Rice than Chenault right now. Is receiver the deepest position CU has? Yeah, by far. I don't think there's any question. I think in my so, mind. too. I mean, Running back's stacked. another deep spot for them, but I think the, the receiver position, yeah, they go five, six deep. I feel comfortable with them. Let's get to another position group before we wrap things up today. And uh, it's the big boys. Big boys up front. Got to save them for last, right? Uh, Casey Roddick and Frank Phillip. The two sophomores on the right side of the line, they're going to be tested this game. And we've seen them do pretty well in, in the first couple of games. I know uh, uh, game one against UCLA, Casey Roddick had a couple times where he struggled a little bit, seemed to bounce back against Stanford. I think the, the run blocking was great against Stanford, but you better believe USC is going to be pressuring these sophomores, wanted to bring pressure off the right side, try and do a lot of things, a lot of stunts to, to, to confuse them. And I do believe that a lot of this game does come down to those two players, Casey Roddick and Frank Phillip. Uh, the left side of the line, Kerry uh, uh, Cooch, the left guard, and uh, William Sherman. Don't call him Sherman Williams. Um, they're, you know, I think that it's not necessarily that they're less important or anything like that. And Colby Purcell at center, I don't want to leave him out. But I just, 
and we, we kind of started off the season by talking about this. I just trust those guys a little bit more. They've been around. You've seen them playing games like this. And you just don't think that if USC is looking how to attack CU, they're not going to bring the majority of their blitzes off the, you know, uh, threatening William Sherman. They're not going to try and confuse him or Kerry Cooch or, or, or Coley Purcell with these stunts. They're going to do it with these young players who don't have a lot of experience. So the line is going to be a big part of this game. If CU wins, it's going to come down to those uh, the buffet busters up front. And one thing worth noting as well, Colby Purcell, uh, starting center, is actually out this game. Is he really? Yeah. I didn't see that on the uh, injury report. That's interesting. And um, it's 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 weird because the way that they put out the depth charts, and I see Tyler, you're looking at it right now. They well, have, this is this is an old one. Yeah, but they have off to the right the kind of like long term injury list. So. Purcell did not make that list. He's actually still listed on the depth chart, but with an asterisk. He's listed as a third stringer with an asterisk saying, in parentheses, injured. So it tells me that he's he's probably going to suit up for this game. I think if push came to shove, he'd be ready to go. But I think they're trying to hold him out. I, it might, might be a little tweak, and I don't know what the injury is, but I did see that on the, the depth chart the Buffs listed uh, this week. And uh, I believe it's Kerry Cooch moving into center uh, to play that role. Let me see if I can find... Yeah, yeah, see what you can... Uh, find there because I'm not I'm, I'm looking up right now I can't see who it's going to be but didn't they have to do that against Stanford yeah they did I thought he, was he out against Stanford as well. and I'm just kicking myself for not saving it because it was one of those things that came through on social media and I, I just grabbed it real quick but, well and, uh, and also again we're recording on Tuesday I mean who knows what could happen by Saturday yeah I mean are these final depth charts for Saturday I hardly doubt that well the jared's got the most updated depth chart but yeah well you guys keep talking i'll see if i can't <laughs> find this real quick i'm, I'm oh, pretty quick with the old fingers if here Ke- if carrie cooch slides over that's okay if they find someone else to fill in at center that's you know i don't think that's the biggest deal in the world i know center's an important position and i know colby purcell having experience before this year it did mean a lot, but honestly, I I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. Okay, so I do have it here. It, it, it is Kerry Cooch moving into the uh, center. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm terrible. Yeah, I'm are. butchering you it. Are. Okay. Um, he's going to move into center, and uh, Chance Lytle Jr. Uh, is going to play at left guard. Any relation to Tyler Lytle? I, I don't know these things. <laughs> I'm looking at the... Uh, the, the well, well t- <laughs> Tyler Lytle's got a pretty... Um, Unique way of spelling his name. It's L Y T L E. Well, maybe they are related then, because the same way. it's the same spelling. Yeah, that could be. Well, we might have to do some diving on that. Although, how would you feel about t- being Tyler Lytle? You come out, you're six five, two twenty. You feel like you're a pretty good sized guy, and then <laughs> if this is a relative, it's like, uh-uh, yeah, I'm six seven, three forty. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> and I'm getting the start. Yes, right. right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but overall, I think the line obviously going to be big. Keeping Sam Neuer clean. I. The, the one recipe that we don't want to see, the one thing we don't want to see happen is Sam Neuer running for his life. That is... And we, we talk a lot about how well Sam Neuer has looked, how confident and comfortable he's looked in the pocket. And a big part of that is the fact that he has not been under a ton of pressure this year. I think right. that may change very quickly if if they're, if USC is really getting after him. So I agree with you, Tyler. That's huge for them to keep that going. It, it's not ideal shifting things around a little bit midseason, but that's always going to be something that happens. It's something you got to just embrace and move on. All right, let's make our picks. Let's get some scores here. Do we think CU can go on the road and get the win? Now, I've said this before. I want to give accurate scores, and I want to be real. I want to be honest, but to, to this is honest. This is real. This is my true opinion, and you better believe I'm going to be betting my money on this this weekend. So that's all the proof you need, but I think we have two things going on here. 
I think we have a USC team who's very overrated because of preseason expectations. The fact that they're 3-0, and as I said earlier in the show, they could be 1-2. and They had to scrap and claw to beat uh, Arizona State and Arizona, and then they beat Utah, but still. I mean, this team is not nearly as good as a lot of people think they are. Meanwhile, CU is operating under the radar. They're 2-0, and but their two wins came by a combined nine points, and a lot of the national media is saying, yeah, they could be 2-0, and but they could be 0-2. Now, I just said that about USC. The difference in those games, USC had to come back in the fourth quarter. They were down. They struggled all game. They did not look very good those first two games. CU, on the other hand, dominated both UCLA and Stanford and allowed them to come back late, something I think they've worked on and fixed and practiced that we can't expect them to be better at against USC. So honestly, I think these two teams are very equal. I think Colorado's got a very good shot to go on the road and get the win. And I do think that both offenses will find ways to move the football. I'm going to go Colorado getting the win 31-30. You, you always take exactly, almost exactly the score that I want to throw. Just way ahead of you, man. You are. You, just, no, you just, get a, you just decide <laughs> to go first. You see, yeah, that's, that's how it works. But I, I think you hit a lot of great points. And I think the biggest factor in why CU is being viewed as almost a two-touchdown underdog right now, obviously you're going on the road. You're traveling. That doesn't mean the same thing that it has in years past. You're not, you don't have the fans out there. You don't have that, that much to worry about. But I think the biggest thing is you look at the combined record of the two teams that CU has played, and it's, what, one and five. And so I think nationally people are looking at, oh, they've barely beat two bad teams. This is not a good team. So I, I think the 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 image that's out there is off and I think that the buffs are due they truly are due in this series I think they want this game so bad I think they're looking at it as the game the key game of the season not knowing what bowl season brings not knowing what anything brings after the season this is that one you can hang your hat on you don't get the CSU game this year you don't get a Nebraska this year you don't get those typical rivalry games so I think the buffs are really gearing up for this game I think it's a close game I think it's going to take every bit of CU's effort. I think it's going to take a, a near flawless game for them to come out and win this. And I think it's a, a little bit lower scoring, but I like it very close like you. I like this 24-23 Buffs winning with a game-winning field at the end of the game. Love it. Wow. Alright, well I'm going to go uh, kind of the same thought process with you guys, except for I'm going with a little more of the fact that the Buffs have had two weeks of of film prep great point they are even even with those little nagging injuries that we know every football team has those a lot of those are probably gone um and, and i think now they know that they are a good football team and they want to come out and prove something not to mention i, I believe usc is leading the pack at least one of the pac 12 leaders in how many games they've played yeah um so i i'm, I'm gonna go with cu finally realizes that that not only can they get out to a big lead, but they can hold that big lead. I'm going Buffs 41, Trojans 24. I love All it. All right, I Ryan, with some confidence. Exactly. Coming in hot. Nice job today, guys. All right, well, again, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and your friends. Hope everyone out there has a good Thanksgiving week, and let's hope CU takes care of business. Let's go, Buffs. We'll talk to you guys next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.